Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. Thank you. Amen. Good morning. I've uh, known your pastor for 26 years. I was actually at his wedding. I was their videographer at the time. I was, I don't know, 18, 19 years old. And I remember thinking how beautiful Diana was on that day. I remember thinking that. And I said, maybe if I hang around the church for a little while, I'll get a beautiful lady too. (laughs) So I do have my beautiful wife here, Alicia, if you want to give a wave offering. You know, your pastor, I remember being a young Christian, and I just had a lot of uh, questions. And, you know, some of the people in the church I look back at 26 years ago, and they were irritated by the questions. I think maybe because they didn't know how to answer them. But Pastor Paul would spend so much time in meaningful dialogue. I mean, no question that I asked uh, wasn't worthy of attention in time. You get the kind of pastor, he doesn't lord over you, he comes alongside you, and uh, he's a true shepherd. How many are blessed by his leadership? Amen? I do, I do represent a ministry known as Unmuted. Unmuted is about giving victims of trauma their voices back. Um, I work within Teen Challenge Centers across the country. I, I conduct workshops, preach, uh, probably about 20 centers across the U.S. I've actually been in Ireland, worked in the Dublin Teen Challenge Center. Um, I also work in the prisons. Um, in particular, you might remember I told you last time, uh, I work with the inmate David Berkowitz, who was formerly known as the son of Sam. Uh, David gave his life to Christ in 1988. I meet with him for about 8 to 10 hours a month. Uh, David is an amazing man of God right now. He's discipling about 15 guys in Shoregunk Correctional Facility. You may be suspicious, but a gospel that's not powerful enough to save a serial killer is not a gospel at all. Amen? Um, I'll actually be meeting with David on August 18th. I'm accompanying, or Don Wilkerson is accompanying me. We're going to spend about a few hours uh, with him. We are focused on uh, a 100-hour case study in exploring the relationship between psychological affliction and demonic oppression because the enemy preys on the afflicted. Just read the book of Job, amen? So please keep that in prayer. Uh, Myself and Don Wilkerson will have a podcast out this fall. It'll be released by the end of this year. Uh, We're actually going on August 18th to talk to David to map that out. And then the case study itself will be presented in book form, either 2023 or 2024. Just believe God is going to really use it in a day and age where there have been 400 mass shootings uh, since January. And people are trying to understand what is the origin of evil. Now, we've guessed it's mental health, uh, but yet we've got more psychiatric drugs than ever before, and yet there's unprecedented bloodshed. Andrew Delbanco, in his book, The Death of Satan, he said, a gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. And that's a Columbia University secularist admitting we need answers. Um, So I I believe God is going to raise up the church in this last hour to bring answers. Amen? 
I do have a word for you. I want to get right into it. If you can open up your Bible, Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, a message I'm entitling, After the Storm is Over. Can you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? After the storm is over. Somebody say, the storm is over. That's how you say it in New England. Over. Over. I do have a few books for sale. If you get all three, it's 50. Buy them individually, it's 60. You can see me afterwards for that. So this, uh, this supervisor realizes that merchandise is missing from his factory. It's an inside job. So he hires a security guard. He tells the security guard, you stand right here at the entrance. Anybody that leaves, anybody that comes in, he says, you scan, you watch, you inspect. Security guard, his first night, he's waiting, he's watching. Guy comes walking through with a wheelbarrow. He's got a sheet over the wheelbarrow. Security guard thinks to himself, I got him. He approaches the guy, he says, what's under that sheet? He says, nothing. Lifts the sheet, nothing inside the wheelbarrow. Let's the guy go. Guy comes back the second night. Wheelbarrow, sheet covering the wheelbarrow. He says, what's under the sheet? He says, nothing. He says, all right, go. This happens for one year. After a year, the supervisor calls him in the office. He says, you're fired. He says, I'm fired? He says, I watched the door every night. He said, nobody stole anything from this factory. He said, how do you explain 360 missing wheelbarrows? <laughs> Somebody say, it's an inside job. Most of your problems are an inside job. Can we talk about that today? Father, bless this word. We thank you for it. I pray for those that are here that are suffering with PTSD those that have gone through crisis, early childhood abuse, domestic violence. I pray today, Lord, your peace would come upon us. Let your word bring healing to every fractured area of our souls, I pray. Lord, we read your word, but your word reads us. There's no greater psychology manual in the world than the Bible. Speak to us this morning, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Open up your Bible to Mark chapter 4. I want to take you to the very, if you could stay standing with me for a minute. I want, I want to take you to a very popular passage, but I, I don't want to pay attention to the storm. I want to pay attention to what happens after the storm. Most of your struggles begin when the storm is over. Ask any soldier that's come home from Iraq. The real battle begins after the battle. In Mark chapter 4, the storm is over. The Bible says in verse 39, Jesus arose, he rebukes the wind, peace be still, the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Somebody said calm. When you've been in crazy too long, calm is more terrifying than crazy. It's calm. He said to the disciples, why are you so fearful? How is it that you still have no faith? 
Bless this word. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, the wind stops raging, the boat stops quaking, but the disciples' knees have not stopped jerking. They're out of the storm, but the storm has yet to be out of them. It is one thing to come out of a crisis. It is another thing for the crisis to come out of you. The real battle begins when the storm is over. The book of Job, only one chapter describes the unfolding of the calamity. 28 chapters depict the aftermath of the tragedy. Many of us today have survived some storms. We've come out of crisis, but I pray today the crisis would come out of you. I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't just speak to the storm. He speaks to my soul. In this passage, first he speaks to the storm, but then second he speaks to their soul because the real battle, it's an inside job. We come out of the crisis, but the crisis has still not come out of us. Usually during the crisis, believe it or not, you don't feel much. Adrenaline is flowing. I work out every morning. Sometimes I injure myself in the morning. I'm in the gym. I'm lifting. I injure myself. I don't feel the injury all day. I lay down at 10 o'clock. All of a sudden, the pain, the injury of the morning becomes the pain of the evening. All day, I'm running on adrenaline. When adrenaline flows, all pain goes. That's why some of you are adrenaline junkies. Because you don't feel anything. Have you ever seen a soldier in a war shot five, six, seven times? He keeps running on the battlefield because adrenaline is flowing. It is a, neuro a neurotransmitter that anesthetizes all physical and emotional pain. Many people are running all the time. Your life is constantly on the go. Very difficult to be still because when you're still, everything you feel physically, emotionally comes to the surface. So the real battle is when the storm's over. Here we are, the, wave, the, ra the, the waves have stopped raging, the boat has stopped shaking, but the knees of the disciples have not stopped jerking. What do you do when the crisis is over in your home, but the crisis is not over in your head? What do you do when it's over in your home, but it's not over in your head? You've come out of an abusive childhood. You've come out of some horrific circumstance. But now the Bible says the disciples are afraid. There are 251 neurotic and psychotic disorders that are listed in the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual of Psychiatric Illnesses. The one common denominator between all neurosis and all psychosis is fear. It's all fear-based behavior. It all comes out of fear. Fear leaves us 
expecting that, that the storm that just happened then, any second, it's going to happen again. Now, can I give you a little neuroscience? Your brain is really divided into two parts. It's kind of an oversimplification, but just follow me for a minute. Inside of you, there is an analyst, and inside of you, there's an animal. And analyst is the prefrontal cortex. It's the critical reasoning. It's the part of your brain that really a healthy brain, you're living most of your time within your analyst mode. You're balancing your checkbook. You're fixing the broken lawnmower. You're solving your kids' problems. You're living inside of that analyst. That analyst leads the way. Somebody say, don't lose your head. You realize your mind is not a problem. The mind controlled by the flesh is a problem. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head over your prodigal son. Don't lose your head over your fragile marriage. Don't lose your head over your Jezebel girlfriend. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head over your Pharaoh employer. Don't lose your head. What did Paul say in Philippians when he speaks of joy? He doesn't say feel these things. He says think upon these things, the things that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are true, that are praiseworthy. Don't lose your head. Now we have an analyst, amen? But we also have an animal. The animal is the instinctual part of you. It's the hippocampus, the amygdala. It's, it's this part of your brain that, that reacts not logically, but instinctually. I thank God for the animal inside of me because if a car is coming at 50 miles per hour, the analyst is not fast enough to respond to the car. There's an animal inside of me that says, get out of the way. If an intruder breaks into the home, I assure you, I may not reason with him, but I will kick his rear end. Amen? How many still have an animal in you? Now you got these, these instincts, these survival instincts. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn. God knew when he made you, life is not a playground. It is a battleground and he built you to survive. Now you got an analyst and you got an animal. The analyst leads the way. The animal is on standby, waiting for crisis. We know by studying people's brains under fMRIs, the difference between an fMRI and an MRI. MRI, we can see the structure of the brain. F means function. We can see the flow of neurotransmitters. When someone's brain has gone through enough crisis, the animal responds faster and swifter and usually more frequently than the analyst. The animal has taken the lead. If you've got any level of PTSD, you have lost your ability to discern the difference between a circumstance and a crisis. Everything feels like a crisis. Every moment feels threatening. Every problem feels like it's the end of the world. You're living on high alert, living on edge, expecting that what just happened then, at any second, that storm is going to happen again. This lady, when she was a little girl, burglars break into her home, startles her out of her sleep. She's traumatized. She gets married. 40 years, her husband's going to hear the same song every night. 
Did you lock the doors? I locked the doors. Did you shut off? Did you shut up? Did you put on the alarm system? Alarm system is on. Is the dog standing at its post? The dog's at its post. Every night he has the same song. Forty years go by. He wakes up, goes to the bathroom. It's dark. He bumps into an intruder. He smiles. He looks at the intruder. He extends his hand. He says, pleasure to meet you. He says, please go upstairs, introduce yourself to my wife. She's been waiting to meet you for 40 years. <laughs> How many can relate to this? Waiting. Constantly waiting for the bottom to fall out. Waiting for the other shoe to drop. Waiting for the next problem. Continually anticipating a crisis because you're waiting for what happened then to happen again. This is the mindset of the disciples. This is post-trauma on display. They're waiting for the storm that just happened then to happen again. 25% of the population suffers from PTSD on some level. You wait, and by the way, most of the problems you wait for, we know through various types of studies in human behavior that 85% of the things you worry about do not materialize. But guess what? Even if the problem never materializes, we also know by studying people's brains that your cortisol levels, which is stress, is higher anticipating a problem than in living through the problem. So you spend all your life stressed. You spend all your life worried. You spend all your life waiting. Most of the problems we're waiting for, they never even happen. And God is saying to you this morning, I don't want to just speak to your storm. I want to speak to your soul. I didn't come just to give you eternal life. I came to give you the abundant life. I want you to be blessed. How many believe that? How many want this to stop? Amen? How many saying this morning, God, you spoke to my storm, now speak to my soul. I've been living too long and crazy. I want to get used to calm. Acclimate my soul to calm. Adjust my psyche to calm. I've gotten too used to crazy in my life. I've come out of the crisis. Now get this crisis out of me. 28 chapters. God is taking the crisis out of Job. I pray this morning, today's your release date. Today, the healer is going to touch you. Today, there is a doctor in the house. His name is Dr. Jesus, and he wants to touch your soul. Fear is the residuals of having coming out of a crisis. When a storm passes through an area, it always leaves behind it a trail of wreckage. Some of the greatest wreckage is not a wreckage in our home. It's a wreckage in our head. And I pray this morning that his peace would be upon you. Now, I find two remedies for fear in the Bible. I, let me tell you, I, I love my Bible. How many can say amen to that? Amen. I, I, every day I read 
the Bible, and the Bible reads me. The Bible gets right to the core of who I am. James calls it a mirror. It sees into me. I see into it. Uh, the writer of Hebrews calls it a sword. It cuts to the very intentions of who I am. It confronts the sinner in me. It unlocks the winner in me. It exposes Adam's imprint. And it unleashes the image of God. I pray this morning this word would set you free from every fear that's ailing you today. Our biggest issue, our biggest pandemic is not COVID, it's fear. I'm not saying don't be careful. I'm not saying don't social distance when you need to social, but be careful, don't be fearful. Now there are two remedies for fear in the Bible. And I want to give you a little science and I want to give you a little scripture to back this up. It amazes me how these fishermen, these sheep herders, these men of the Bible who so little of them had education were able to speak with such poignancy, such profundity that they articulated subjects that it would take 2,000 years of neuroscience to realize they were far ahead of their times. The Bible gives two remedies for fear. One is in this passage, and that's faith, and the other is in 1 John chapter 4, and that's love. Can we talk about both of these? Because when the love is high, the fear is low. And when the faith is high, the fear is low. Let's talk about love for a minute. First John chapter 4, we all know the verse, perfect love casts out all. Perfect love casts out all fear. Now, this is an interesting phrase, perfect love. Really, the misnomer, I believe, behind this, this phrase is that perfect love is juxtaposing di divine love with human love. And that's not the context, nor is it the actual definition of the word perfect. Perfect does not mean flawless. Perfect means complete. Perfect love is not a contrast between the love that comes from God with the love that comes from man. Perfect love is actually defined just a couple of verses prior in 1 John 4.12 when it says God's love is perfected in us as we love one another. Perfect love is a complete circuit. It is when love descends from heaven and it extends to the brethren. It is the love that comes in worship and it is the love that comes in fellowship. When you walk in that complete circuit, if you know anything about electricity, power begins to flow when there is complete circuitry. Perfect love is when the love comes from heaven. It doesn't die on the vine, but that love extends to the brethren. And when you and I walk in the love of worship and we walk in the love of fellowship, when we walk in that assembling together, when we are integrated in the body of Christ, fear cannot prevail. Are you hearing that? I can prove this neuroscientifically. If someone's levels of cortisol are high, 
Cortisol, again, is a stress hormone. It's associated with people that are afraid. When they're afraid, their cortisol levels are very high. The quickest way to reduce cortisol levels is a touch. A touch releases oxytocin, the cuddling chemical, the bonding hormone. When oxytocin elevates, cortisol levels come down. Oxytocin associated with love, cortisol associated with fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Are you seeing that? Oxytocin's the love hormone. Cortisol is the fear hormone. When oxytocin is high, cortisol is low. Perfect love drives out all fear. I have clinician friends, and they tell me, Dr. Caparelli, I can't keep up with the caseloads. I got more people that are suffering with anxiety, more with depression, more with every psychosis and neurosis known to man over the last two years. Why? Because we're isolated, we're in quarantine, we're separated, and the more isolated, the more separated, the more fear, the more mental health issues. You see in this picture? When, when you lose touch, you become out of touch. We need touch. When you lose touch, out of touch. Talk to people that have been around people too long. Out of touch. Usually socially out of touch. They're saying thank you when you should say you're welcome. They, they, they say things there. Well, I don't know why I said that. They Theologically out of touch. Crazy doctrines. Talk to anybody that's been outside the body of Christ too long. And the theologies are bizarre. I mean, what I'm talking about. Perfect love. When the love's high, the fear is low. Now, a second remedy. We'll go back to Mark 4. Jesus says, where's your faith? Do this to your neighbor. Go, where's your faith? You realize Jesus was Italian, right? Do it. Go, where's your faith? How do I know he's Italian? He left his mother and father's house at 30 years old. Say, where's your faith? <laughs> where's your faith? If the faith is high, the fear is low. Now, this is an interesting word, faith. The word in the Greek is pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S. It means evidence. Evidence that convinces a doubter. It means evidence that persuades the skeptic. Watch this. They just come out of a storm. Now, they're living in that rush to this very minute. The storm's over, but they're still in that panic. They're still feeling the adrenaline. Their heartbeat is still racing. Their chest is still tight. It's as if the crisis is still happening. They're living in the rush. Jesus looks at them and says, where's your faith? It's as if he's saying, go back and look at the evidence. I gave you evidence that should persuade you. There was a rush, but then there was also a hush, and the hush was was greater than the rush. You're living in the rush, but you forgot the hush. That's PTSD in a nutshell. Because, see, trauma does something interesting to the hippocampus. Hippocampus is the memory part of your brain. It, it affects the hippocampus in such a way that when you remember the events of yesteryear, all you remember is the pain. All you remember is the rush. 
All you remember is the difficulty, but you forget the deliverance. All you remember is the mayhem, but you forget the miracle. You remember the pain, and it's like it's still happening. You're living in the rush, and Jesus is saying, take a second look. The hush was greater than the rush. Chances are, if you suffer from PTSD, I ask you about your childhood, all you're going to tell me is the difficulties. But the reality is for every pit, there was a hand that pulled you out of that pit. For every difficulty, there was a deliverance that paved the way out of that difficulty. For every Pharaoh, there was a Moses. For every Egypt, there was a Canaan. For every problem, there was a solution. You may have been down low, but there was no pit too deep that God's love wasn't deeper. There was a rush, but then there came a hush. Go back and look at the evidence. Reevaluate because what you're seeing before you is largely hinging on how you analyze what's behind you. Your experiences have not hurt you anywhere near as your explanations of your experiences. How you say it and how you see it. The story you're telling yourself. Are you telling a tragedy or are you telling a testimony? When you look back, do you just see a storm? Do you just feel the rage of the waves? Or do you feel the stillness of the Savior? That moment came when he said, enough. He spoke to the storm and now the storm is over. Somebody say, the storm is over. You're living in the rush. You've gotten so acclimated to the crazy. The calm is scary. When it's calm, you don't know what to do. When it's quiet, so much noise in your mind. I pray God wants us to get used to the quiet this morning. This is coming from a big mouth Italian. (laughs) I think he wants us to get used to the quiet. I pray a harmony over this church. I pray a peace over every household. I pray for a shalom over every family. I pray the atmosphere of your home would no longer be contentious. I'm going to stop praying. I prophesy harmony in every home in this church. I pray no more drama, no more fighting when there's no reason to fight, no more flighting when there's no reason to flight. I pray peace over every family in this church. I think we go back and look and see that for every adversity, there was an authority that was greater than that adversity. Joseph didn't forget all the crisis. He remembered the pit. He remembered being sold into slavery. He didn't forget any of this. By the way, these uh, poor physicians that tell you to forget the past, that's not biblical. I use the scripture, Paul forgets the things behind him, which really he's speaking of the accolades that make him conceited. If you do the exegesis on that passage, the weight of scripture would suggest that your history is very important. You should remember your history, but you should see it through a redemptive lens and know for every giant there was a God that was greater than the giant. I go to churches, I do trauma recovery workshops, and the pastors often say to me, The problem with the people of this church 
is that they remember the past too much. And I have to argue and say, no, the problem is the opposite. The problem is they're not remembering it enough. All they're remembering is the knife blade against the neck. All they're remembering is the shame, the panic, the berating. They're forgetting that from the days of their youth, he has been with you, not for one single moment were you forsaken. There was a storm, but the Savior was greater than the storm. The enemy would love you just to take a snippet of your past. Just a snippet. Devil was walking one day with his cohort following a Christian. The cohort sees the Christian kneel down, pick up something shiny. He says to the devil, he says, what do you pick up? He says, a piece of the truth. Aren't you going to stop him? Nah. I'll see he builds his whole life on that one piece of truth. God wants you to see the whole story this morning. There was an adversity, but there was an authority that was greater than the adversity. How many believe that? Worship team, can you... Can you come up? I, I, I believe there are people here. You're, you're on edge. You're just on high alert. You, you want, you, you, you're afraid to love again. You're afraid your next is going to act, act like your ex. Really, I mean, you're just in expectation of a problem. Maybe if we look behind us and we see miracles, maybe when we look before us, we'll expect miracles. Maybe we can expect deliverance this morning. We can expect God to come through. We can expect that no matter what storm comes my way, His voice will prevail over all noise. You want this circumstance to change? I know you do. God's saying, I want to change your mind. This is an inside job. I want to do something in your mind today, your soul. Stand up with me, please. You can start playing anytime. You know, I, I visit Berkowitz, David Berkowitz. I've been with him for 37 hours so far. Got 63 hours remaining. He's become a friend. I really believe it's going to be a lifelong relationship. I hear his story. I mean, his whole life is a rush. Adrenaline from the time he was a baby. I mean, in his mother's womb. Whole life is a rush. Even the killings. Six murders, nine stabbings and shootings. Left people injured. I mean, just... Entire life, anarchy, panic, fear. A lot of fear in the story, by the way. A lot of fear. Even at the most angry moments, fear. Really, anger is a cover-up for fear. How many know that? Anger is a secondary emotion. It's a manipulated response of the brain to cover up more vulnerable feelings. People are angry is really because they're hurt or they're disappointed or they're afraid. And the anger is easier to be powerful than it is to be vulnerable. So I get angry rather than showing I'm hurt. I get angry rather than admitting I'm afraid because it's easier to be powerful than it is to be vulnerable. But the reality is I'm scared. That's why fear is remedied all through the Bible over and over again. It's the mother cockroach. If we could deal with fear, everything else would leave. 
I asked David, I said, Dave, you were possessed, correct? I mean, there's no debate on this. No, I, I was possessed. I said, when did you get saved? He said, 1988, I was in Sullivan County, upstate New York. Inmate shared the gospel. Actually, he shared it with me for a few weeks or so. Finally, he gave me a Bible. I went, home, I went back in my cell. I got saved. I got delivered in that cell. Now, I'm a little bit of a sensationalist sometimes. Like, I like good movies. How many like good movies? I'm expecting a good deliverance story. Like, did your eyes roll in the back of your head like a slot machine? Did your head spin around like Linda Blair? What happened? Spare me no detail. Right? I'm going to expect if the son of Sam is going to get saved and delivered, it's going to be good. Spielberg needs to do that scene. I said, what happened? How did it happen? The salvation, the deliverance? He said, <laughs> I, I read the Bible. I started sobbing, Psalm 36. I got on my knees. I confessed. I must have repented for about an hour and a half, two hours. Hey, I went to sleep. I slept like I never slept before in my life. I woke up. I was peaceful all day. That was it. Your head didn't spin. No convulsions. I said, no. I walked away. I said, man, that was quiet. God just began speaking in my heart and the quietness of the deliverance. His whole life he'd been used to the rush. And now, now David's become very comfortable in the hush. He's very acquainted with that hush. He wakes up every morning at 5 a.m. He has an instant coffee maker in his cell. His cell is the size of an average bathroom. He has his Bible on his tablet, and he reads his Bible for about an hour, and he said, Dr. Caparelli, he said, it's the most peaceful time of the day. He said, that was the time when I was back on the streets of New York, I would run from that quietness. He said, everything bothered me, every noise. He said, I was constantly running, just constantly running. I said, I couldn't take it. He said, I used to park my car, Orchard Beach in the Bronx. He said, I would sleep in the car, just trying to, trying to get used to the peace, but even the quietest places. He said, but yet in that deliverance, there was such a stillness, there was such a hush. I believe this morning, there are people here, you've gotten so used to the adrenaline, you've gotten so used to the rush, and God wants to put a peace in your mind this morning. He wants you to get used to the hush. If that's you, you've been on edge. Look, if you don't rat yourself out, your spouse is going to rat you out. They're gonna... If that's you, you've been on edge. I want you to come to this altar. I'm going to pray peace over you. You've been expecting problems, everything inside you. You dread tomorrow. You're dreading how that meeting's going to go. You're dreading how that situation's going to unfold. You're wondering all the what-ifs. I pray this morning God would change your what-if. He would rewrite your what-if. You wouldn't say, what if I die? You wouldn't say, what if I'm broke? You would say, what if God comes through? What if he does a miracle? What if he parts the Red Sea? What if he does what he's famous for? Say, God, change my what if. Rewrite my what if. Thank you again for being with us today. 
To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.